We're in 1 John chapter 2, verse 12 through 17. Believers, know your enemies. If you would, please stand for reading of the Word of God. We, we stand out of respect for our God when we read His Word. Verse 12, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the wicked one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. This is the word of God. Please be seated. The theme of uh, 1 John is this, that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know unequivocally that you have eternal life. John's epistles, he's dealing with the Gnostics. And what are the Gnostics? The Gnostics are those who thought they were in the enlightened ones. They had all the information, all the inside knowledge. They thought their way was the right way. And they had a skewed view of many, many different things. He's dealing with these guys head on. They had special knowledge. They were enlightened. They believed in a different Jesus. They believed that Jesus was just a spirit being, did not come in the flesh. That is why in 1 John, in the first few verses, he says, I touched him. We saw him. We, we, we walked with him. We had, we had fellowship with him. He was here bodily. He was here bodily. And isn't it just like Satan to try to cast doubt, to try to cast doubt? To, to, to sow the tares with the wheat. Remember the wheat in the, in the parable were, were true believers and the tares were false believers. But they looked just like the wheat. And it wasn't all, all determined who was true and not true until the judgment day. So there's a lot of people that think they're true and look like they're true. They look like wheat, they sound like wheat, they smell like wheat, but they are not wheat. And guess what? God knows the heart. God knows the heart. Hebrews 4.13 says this, Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give an account. Every human will stand before God and give an account one day. Now, aren't you glad when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ as a believer that all your sins are covered? Amen. You're not going to be judged for your sins. You know what you're going to be judged for? What you have done after salvation with this message of Jesus Christ. How you have used the spiritual gifts that God has given you. That's what you're going to be judged for. And then you'll be given rewards or loss of rewards, depending upon your faithfulness here. But oh, for those who don't believe in Jesus, those unfortunate people that say no to Jesus, I don't believe you, Jesus, or I don't want you, Jesus, or I don't want to submit to you, Jesus. That's usually the thing. I want to have my way, my will, my, 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 my. You'll be at the white throne judgment. And that judgment, the books will be open, and you will see that you are guilty before a holy God. And God will say, depart from me into the lake of fire. He is not happy about that because God's desire is that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That is the heart of God. He loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. The heart of God is to save people. But people stiff arm him, like I say all the time. They don't want him. God wants you. But so many people don't want him. Now, John gives us tests to tell us or help us to know whether we're genuine or not. 
whether we're genuine believers or we're just shams, we're just going through the motions. And a couple of them, the last time that we met, were in verses 3 through 6. We know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now remember, salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. There's no works involved. Everything was done by Jesus on the cross for us. We simply believe and receive the gift. No works at all. But once you're saved, then you demonstrate that you truly love the Savior by being obedient to him. That is why we obey the commands. We love him. It proves that we're genuine. Remember, when you're saved, God gives you a new heart. He puts a new spirit within you. He takes the heart of stone out of your chest and gives you a heart of soft and malleable and, 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 and shapeable. He loves us. He gives us a new heart. He is changing us from the old you to the new you. Everyone that has been born again. Isn't that interesting? We have this language, born again. The Spirit of God comes within us and gives us life. Everyone that has been born again is in the process of change. Old pitiful you to new great you. Okay? That's, that's, that's the goal. And it's a process. It's a journey. And we don't all make it instantly. As a matter of fact, no one makes it instantly. It's a slow, gradual process, a slow, gradual change. The new man, his spirit has been given life at salvation. He has a desire to obey the master, to put off the old man, and to put on the new. We know that we're growing when we decide, hey, I'm going to obey Jesus' way. It's the right way. It's the best way. And guess what? Every command of God does two things, provides for you and protects you. Provides for and protects you. So the second, the second proof that we're genuine, we learned last time, is that we have love for one another. And remember, this love for one another is not something that, that we can choose just, just to take it or leave it. Because John, John has written in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, a command. He says, a new command I give you. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. In this way, all men will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If there's anything that should identify a Christian, is that we're thick skin, soft hearts, and embracing and loving people. Now, we can't condone sin and that sort of thing. We try to encourage people to come out of that life, and that's our, but we're gentle with them. We're not sticking our fingers in their face and get right or get left, that's, that sort of thing. Uh, no, we're gentle with people. And we are to, remember, remember what the thick skin was in Colossians 3.13, is that we bear with one another or put up with one another. Isn't that something? As in the body of Christ, we are to put up with one another, bear with one another, even those who bug us. Anybody ever bug you in the body of Christ? Oh, yes, they have. Yes, they have. Those who irritate us. Those who drive us crazy. Remember, it's an attitude of grace and mercy. It's an attitude of grace and mercy. Now, I submit to you, you cannot obey the commands of God. You cannot love one another like Jesus loves or wants us to love unless you spend time in his word and you spend time with him. And I'm going to say several times, it isn't just spending time in his word. It is submitting to his word. Big difference. A lot of people in seminaries have have read the Bible, know it backwards and forwards, but have not submitted to what it says. We must submit to what it says. Wishing and hoping won't do it. Good intentions won't do it. 
trying really hard. Ooh, I'm going to do better today. Won't do it. No, you must spend time with the master. You must be plugged into the vine. Remember, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And if you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We must be plugged into Jesus in order to change. Now, this week, believers have a relentless enemy. And remember this enemy, he is true. A lot of people think that Satan is just some mythical character. Oh, no, he is, there is a spirit world, and it is true. Je Jesus said Satan existed. He exists. And he has this that he likes to do. Deception is his number one goal. Destruction is, 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 is his purpose. To cause you to be discouraged is another part of one of his games. And he wants to take you back. As a believer, he wants to take you back to your old ways. And there's something within you that facilitates that. That's your flesh. Your flesh is never redeemed. Your flesh is only going to be redeemed when we get into heaven, when we're glorified. We will fight this until we are no longer here. It's going to be a fight to the death until we're no longer here. So he wants to take you back. And your flesh wants to take you back to the way things were because it's uncomfortable with the change in your life. Well, this week we're going to be talking about this. Believers know your enemies Plural. Plural. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. Holy Spirit, please teach us today things you want us to hear. Right now, Lord, I ask that people will take everything out of their minds and be open to what you have to say to us today. Lord, these are life-saving words. We are people that need to hear the truth, and the truth will set us free. Open our eyes and our ears and our spirit to the truth today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, facts to know. Facts to know. If you're a believer, I've said this like multiple times, so this won't be new to you, but either you're growing or you're regressing, Christianity is not static. It is not static. Remember, you're going against the current of the world, the flesh and the devil, and it takes work. That's why sanctification is a process. Being conformed to the likeness of Christ is a process. It takes work. It takes us engaging with the Holy Spirit to change does not happen automatically. So we have that triunity of evil that is against us. But I want you to think about something. As we mature in Christ, as we're more and more looking like Jesus and less like us, isn't that thrilling? I'll tell you, when you're, when you're married to somebody and they start to change, looking more like Jesus, that's like hip, hip, hooray. That's like hip, hip, hooray. It's a whole different paradigm for a family, for a way that person conducts himself. You have, there's, these are a few signs that you're growing or maturing. Uh, this guy named John McNaughton said this, Maturity begins to grow when you can sense your concern for others outweighing your concern for yourself. That's like a mountaintop experience. When you start to look at other people better than yourselves, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but with humility consider others better than yourself. That's the Christian way. That's the Spirit of God at work within you. That's growth. That's growth. Chuck Swindoll says this, one of the marks of maturity is the ability to disagree without becoming disagreeable. Isn't that something? That's unique to Christianity. That's unique to a Spirit of God. That is not natural for us. If you disagree with me, what, do I, what automatically happens in each one of us? The little Doberman thing goes up and you start going back and forth. Oh, no. Disagree without becoming disagreeable. And then one person wrote this. His name is Fred Cook. He, he talks about what the Holy Spirit growth really looks like in your life. Watch what he says here. Maturity or growth is the ability to do a job 
whether supervised or not. You know, that's character. Not having a someone stand over you and insist that, oh, no, do this. Oh, Rick, do this. Oh, you didn't do it. No. Character. Holy Spirit-given character. Supervised or not. I can finish the job once it's started. That's Holy Spirit toughness, tenacity. To carry money without spending it, that's Holy Spirit wisdom. And bearing all injustice without wanting to get even. Folks, that is the Spirit of God working in us. That is not natural. That is growing you when you start to identify these things. Now, the following verses that we're going to go through help us to identify different stages of growth. Verses 12 through 14 are different stages of growth in a person's life. We're also in in verses 15 through 17. Look at the enemies that that are going to do everything possible to resist this growth. Everything possible to resist this growth. So in verse 12 through 14, we read these words. Look at it this way. It's who you know and what you know that makes the difference. It's who you know and what you know that makes the difference. Let's read verses 12 through 14 again. I write to you, little children. Now, what is he saying here? These are people just born again. Just have received Jesus Christ as their Savior. Taken from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Transferred from Satan's kingdom into Jesus' kingdom. All done because they've done one thing. I believe, Jesus, that you died for my sins. And I received the gift of salvation. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Everything was done by him, but we must receive the gift. We must receive the gift. We must believe and receive. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. You've experienced the new birth for his namesake. I write to you, fathers, who are the mature ones, because you have known him. And I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I want you to think about something. I don't care how mature you think you are. We look at us, we look at ourselves as I'm the father in this, or I'm the young man in this. I don't, I'm not the little child in this. I will submit to you, no matter what level of maturity that you think you've attained, that sometimes we act like children. We're not acting like who we are in Christ. We regress and the flesh rises up, and it's embarrassing. I don't know if it's embarrassing to you, it's embarrassing to me. Why did I think that? Why did I say that to my wife? Why did I say that to my kid? Why did I do this to this person or that person? What in the world is wrong with... Hey, it's, it, we flow in and out of this. But the more that we're connected to Christ, the least or the less that flow will occur and the more we'll act like Jesus and recognize what we've done wrong. See, that's a key thing. We want to recognize that when I do something that is wrong, I want to immediately go up to my my child and say, I am sorry that I yelled at you that way. I am sorry that I treated you like that. That was wrong. That was wrong. We flow in and out of this. Continuing with verse 13, I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who was from the beginning. And I have written to you, young men. Those first 14 are past tense. Notice, I think he's referring back to the book of John. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong. Oh, watch this. And the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the wicked one. Let's develop this. It's who you know that makes all the difference. That's as a child. Being born again. It's who you know, knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. Makes all the difference in the world. When a person knows Jesus, and this is a deep relationship with him, he makes all the difference in the world. That word know is the Greek word gnosis. G-N-O-S-I-S. And that means to know experientially. 
not just head knowledge, not just a cerebral, I know that Jesus exists. Because because remember, even Satan believes, even the demons believe and shudder, it says in James. It isn't just a, a head knowledge. Oh, no, it's I have experienced the master. I've experienced the spirit of God coming within me. He has changed me. I know him. I know him. It's not just surreal. It's deep intimacy with the Savior. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, these words that kind of lend itself to this, this topic of knowing. He says, I want to know Christ, gnosis, that deep experiential experience of knowing him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. You know what that means? As Jesus suffered and he gave everything to the Father, we too are to deny ourselves. Is that ever is that something we don't like to do? We are to deny ourselves and follow the Master. To follow the Master. Sharing in his suffering, becoming like him. Like him. Remember, that's the goal of your life, to be conformed to the likeness of Christ and his death, and somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. I want to know him in a deep, personal, intimate way. We need the Savior, folks. Not just a cursory relationship with him. Not just to be a baby forever, but to grow in him, to know him deeply, to walk with him. To know Christ in this way puts to death the self-life. Babies never put to death the self-life. More than just a second. This is huge. This is life-changing. A life that has changed, folks, is a life that denies the self-life, denies the me, myself, and I. Remember, maturity is looking at others as better than yourself. That is denying the self-life. Little children can't do this. Being with Jesus accomplishes this. Deny myself, take up my cross, and follow him. That is what we are to do. More on that later. No longer it's my desires, my will, my way. We're going to look at Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And actually, it's going to be 18 through 23, but I want to set the setting for you. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. And actually, there's 20,000 with women and children. So 20,000 people, five loaves and two fishes. Miracle of miracles. After that, Jesus gets off with Father, and he gets rejuvenated. Good thing for us to think about, because we need to get alone with Father. If Jesus did, that's a good example for us. In verse 18, he says this, And it happened as he was alone, praying that his disciples join him. And he asked them, saying, Who do the crowds say that I am? Great question. So they answered and said, wrongly, John the Baptist. And some say, Oh, he's Elijah. You're, you're Elijah, Jesus. That's wrong. Others say, one of the prophets has risen again. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Now notice it's personal. He's got 12 guys there, and he points to each one of them. Who do you say that? That's the same thing that he says to us today, individually. Who do you say that I am? It doesn't matter what your mom and dad think. It doesn't matter what your grandma and grandpa think. It matters that intimate relationship between you and the God of heaven. It is always individual. It is always individual that you come into the family of God. And Peter said, you are the Christ of God. And I love Matthew. He says it this way. He says this, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And you know what Jesus said? Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So you can't come into the family and realize 
that Jesus is who he said he is without the Holy Spirit doing something inside of you, changing you, taking the blinders off, allowing you to see. It takes a work of God to change these old, pitiful hearts into soft, malleable hearts. In verse 23, he says this, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. I want you to think about something. Taking up your cross daily is an invitation to die to your will, to your way, daily. And I would suggest that daily is moment by moment by moment by moment. Because we regress in like a millisecond. A millisecond. So who you know will change the entire direction of your life and will change your eternal destiny. Who you know. Jesus Christ as your Savior will change everything in your life and change your eternal destiny. Whether you're going to live with him forever or unfortunately separated from him forever in a place that is colloquially called hell, but it's really the lake of fire. And some place that Jesus does not want anyone to go to, but people force, almost force themselves to go there against the will of God. It's against the will of God. Remember who you know. And then it's what you know. What you know speaks of level of maturity. The goal is growth, that we do not remain baby Christians forever. Babies Christians never deny themselves, never deny the flesh, always will pleasure themselves. That's what babies do. That's what babies do. You put them into the room, it's all about the baby. If we brought a baby in here right now, all the attention would go off of here and the word right under the baby. Because that's what babies get. They get all the, and they want the attention. They want the attention. Babies, that's what they do. They never deny themselves. And I would suggest to you that the majority of American Christians, the majority of American Christians remain babies, lifelong babies, all about me babies. No joy, no peace, constant turmoil. That's how babies live. And you don't have to be that way. Children, all of us are saved as children, but all of us are expected to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All of us have been forcibly extracted from the kingdom of darkness and conveyed into the kingdom of the Son of, the, of his love, whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. When you read that in Colossians chapter 1, it is a forceful extraction from Satan's grip. Jesus does. When we say, when we say yes to Jesus, he does all the work. Forcefully extracts, places you into the kingdom of light. He does all the work. Does all the work. Verse 12 is a huge, giant deal. Little children, because your sins are forgiven. No more condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's a great deal. We don't have to ever live with the guilt of our sin. We can live with conviction of the Holy Spirit once we're saved. You get to experience that. That's to drive you back to God. Remember, condemnation is always to take you away from God. You know that. So so it's a huge deal. Verse 13, it says the fathers are they're maturing in their faith. See, they're the seasoned veterans of the faith. And it's all because of who they know, and they've grown in the grace and knowledge. In verse 14, we see the young men who are growing, experiencing victories in areas that seemed impossible. Seemed impossible. But when the Spirit of God got hold of their lives, yes, these things start to peel off, and you change, and you change. Over, you're overcoming some of the traps. You're not taking the bait so readily as the young man who was trying to go. You're actively involved in change. 
actively involved in change. Remember, the goal is to overcome the wicked one with some victories. Now, how does anyone overcome the wicked one? Well, he tells us in verse 14, I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one, Satan, the demonic realm. That's what he's talking about. So you are strong. You are growing up. And remember, it's not you. It's not any strength that you have on your own. It's God in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what's accomplishing it. It's the Holy Spirit in you. Now, why are you strong? Because the word of God abides in you. And we've talked about this word abides many times. It is menno in the Greek. And it means to remain, to dwell, to be at home in, to be part of your daily life. I can't say it enough. And not only part of your daily life, but when you read it, you submit yourself to the word. You actually do what the word says. Not that I know what it says. But I think I'll obey this. Oh, I think I'll take that. Oh, that's a little too hard. No, we submit ourselves to the Word. That means you're, that will be identified as a growing Christian. The Word of God abides in you. You have overcome the wicked one. That word overcome is Nikeo. The root is Nike. Ever hear that word? Nike. And it means to subdue, conquer, prevail, or have the victory. So what tools are given to an overcomer? What tools are given to a believer to overcome the wicked one, Satan, the demonic realm. And remember, don't ever underestimate this enemy. He is the most powerful, the most beautiful of all the created being. He was the anointed cherub in charge of worship before the throne of God. He was so charismatic that a third of the angelic realm chose to go with him and away from God. An amazing thing. So don't ever underestimate this enemy. But God has given you tools. So tools to overcome the enemy. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, it talks about the armor of God. Now, this is not a talk on the armor of God. Okay, this is just tells you what you have available to you. The armor of God. Now, hear this, because this is very important. You can know about the armor, but until you put the armor on, you are defenseless. Remember, loins girded with the belt of truth. I have to put it on. Breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with the readiness of the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. And remember the sword of the Spirit, which is your offensive weapon. Your offensive weapon. Know about the sword. Now hear this, the sword of the Spirit. Until I memorize scripture and use the sword, I am useless in this battle. I must put the weapon inside of me to be able to use the sword. I must memorize scripture. Now, look, if people say, it's too hard, it's really, really hard, well, I can tell you, you've memorized the TV guide. You know what's on channel dit 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 at dit 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 time. You can memorize key scriptures that will help you on your journey. You can do this. It takes work. It takes work. And it's your only offensive weapon. When we say the, 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 the sword of the Spirit, we're talking about the rhema of God. The individual verses of God that we memorize as swords in this battle. Swords in this battle. The Roman sword was a small sword. This was not unique to the Romans. They just made it better. It was a short sword used for close range. And I want you to notice the word in Latin, it is gladius, is the word that we get gladiator from. 
And it's, it says here in Ephesians 6, 17, and 18, take the helmet of salvation and the sword, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. That's your other weapon, your other weapon, praying in the Spirit. What does that mean? Praying in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. That's what that means. With all prayer and supplication. This was a short sword. Now, Rome was very successful. They had, they had shields. That's why uh, Paul kept using this imagery, the shield of faith. They had the sword of the Spirit. That was a short sword, and they would go against their enemy, who usually had longer swords. See, their philosophy was the longer the sword, they can't get close to me. What did the Roman army do? They advanced with their shields up and used their short sword. The long sword didn't work when they got in close combat. Made them victorious. And it was double-edged and pointed. Double-edged and pointed. Very significant. Those successful in this war are those the Word of God abides in and submits to. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. All things are uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give an account. Everything. It pierces us. It pierces us. Guess what? Jesus, when he was in the wilderness, three times used the sword of the Spirit. It is written, it is written, it is written to thwart Satan. Three times. Three times he did this. Resist the devil. Submit to God. Submit to his word. Resist. Resist. Folks, it's all about who you know, and it's all about what you know about who you know. You get that? It's all about who you know, but what you know about who you know. That is what is important. Verse 15 through 17. Believers, know your enemies. Now, this is, this, when I say this, this is a command given by the Holy Spirit to John. This is written in the imperative in the Greek. And it says this, do not love the world, a command, or things in the world, stuff of the world, the glitter of the world. If anyone loves the world, watch this warning, the love of the Father is not in him. Danger, danger. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Folks, we struggle with these things. Each one of us, I don't care how mature you are, you will struggle with these things is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Remember that word lust is epithumio? It is upon the mind. That is where the battle takes place, in the mind. It starts in the mind. That's where the enemy attacks, in the mind. That's where you're to take captive every thought. That is where to have our armor on, the helmet of salvation. I know who we are in Christ. That's where the battle is won or lost, in the mind. He starts out with this. Please hear this. The world system that we're living in is not your friend. I don't care how much. Well, there's a song here. There's a song. I was going to read this later, but I'll read it right now. Do you remember this song? It's the Coca-Cola song. I'd like to build a world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honeybees and snow-white turtle doves. It's a human utopia. They tried to do this all the way back in the Tower of Babel. 
I just want it. It's all about us. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. We're all getting together and so lovey. I'd like to hold it in my arms and, oh, keep it company. The whole world is working together. It's a utopia. It's not happening until Jesus comes, until he sets up his kingdom. But humanity is always trying to establish this utopia outside of God, outside of God. We can do it because we're just getting better as humans. Oh, no, we're not. Oh, no, we're not. The world, the Bible says we're de devolving, not evolving. Devolving, not evolving. So that's a cute song. And that's got, you know, it could be some good meaning to it, but it's wrong. It will not be in harmony here until the king comes. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilence and bad, 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 bad. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be the second coming of Christ. It is not getting better. Just look around. Just look around. Look at the news. It is not getting better. Okay, the New Testament uses a term this way, three different ways. Sometimes it refers to the planet Earth in Acts 17.24. Sometimes it re refers to humankind. And sometimes it refers to the human culture as influenced by Satan and the world system. That's what we're talking about here today. So the world is not your friend. But listen to this. Your flesh is not your friend either. The flesh is sarks. Now, it can mean the human body, but what we're talking about here today is this. It's the corrupt nature of man subject to filthy appetites and pleasures. It is that part of us that just loves the world. The world glitters, and our flesh goes, Ooh, I like that glitter. I'm just drawn to that. Yeah, that's what your flesh is. And then you have a devil, which simply means slanderer, diabolos, slanderer, and it's the accuser of the brethren. He is the, he is the ruler of this world system. He is ruler of this world system. So, thinking about the world, all people have a world view. That's the lens through which a person views the world. Now, I got this from the religious Trojan Horace Brandon House's book, but this is good stuff. Now, what determines our worldview? We've gone through this before, so some of you might remember that 10%. That 10% that we remember. What determines our worldview? Well, what determines our worldview is a person's theology and doctrine determines their worldview. What does that mean? Your theology. Remember, theo is God's theology is study of. Do you believe that God exists, or are you godless in your belief? That's going to determine your worldview. And your doctrine, are you going to believe God's word or not? Doctrine simply means teachings. That'll determine your worldview. Your worldview will determine your values, what you think is important or not important. And your values will ultimately determine a person's conduct. Will I submit to God or will I just submit to myself? That's what it gets down to. How you live out your life. And again, the command is straightforward. Do not love the world. That system that excludes God, do not be at home in the world. Do not have a worldview that excludes God. Now, I want to take you on a little bit of journey, which you haven't been to before, at least with me. And there will be a picture up here, and this is going to be a picture of Nebuchadnezzar's statue. Nebuchadnezzar was the greatest king that ever lived, and he is depicted as the head of gold. And what this statue is, is depicting are the nations that would rule at different times of the world. These are the kingdoms of the world and how the world views itself. How the world views itself. Notice, the world views itself as a beautiful statue. 
And oh, I'm Nebuchadnezzar, I'm the head of gold. And in Persia is a chest of silver. And in Greece was, a, was, was the bronze waist. And the iron legs were Roman. Notice there's an east and west branch of this, this kingdom. And today, to this day, there is an east and west conflict on earth. That is what's depicted here in the legs. And then these toes are the ten-nation confederation. This is going to be an antichrist, this one that comes on the scene with all the answers. So to ten toes, this is when the antichrist comes. And, and this is how the world views itself. It's great, it's wonderful, we're a beautiful statue. But in Daniel chapter 7, this is how God views the world kingdoms. Watch what it is. These are beasts. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. They didn't put the ten-nation confederation on here, but this is how God views the kingdoms of this world that are under the control of Satan. Humanity looks at it as beautiful, but God views it as beasts. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? We'll be studying Daniel one day. We'll get to know this a little bit better. Beasts do not love the world or anything in the world. There's a warning. If anyone loves the world, if you are in love with this world system, the godless system that is controlled by Satan, then the love of the Father is not in him. Isn't that scary? If you are loving this world system, God is not in you. The love of the Father is not in you. It's not that we're not going to be drawn there. It's not going to, that's not going to entice us. It's always going to have that enticement. But realize what happens. Realize what happens. Now, I, I want to give you a test, a test for overcoming the world. You know that you are growing and overcoming this world system when the world system's lure is resisted, and you see the destructiveness of what the world system ultimately brings to families, to individuals, to children, to everything that God holds dear. When you think of what the world system offers, when you feel out of step with the world system's values, and I don't fit in, you know that you're growing and the world system is losing its allure. When you live out Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 and 14, when you admit that we are simply aliens and strangers here, I don't belong here, I'm not fitting in here. And those who say plainly that they seek a, a homeland, and our homeland that we're seeking is not here. It's the coming world. It's the world that we're going to live in forever and ever and ever and ever. It's real. It's real. I submit to you, it's real. It's real. And it's not here. And, and, the, and for the Christian who believes this, that what is on their tongue constantly is Maranatha. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Even so come, rescue us from this plight. We don't fit in here any longer. Verse 16, know your enemies. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. When you demonstrate these characteristics, this is of the world, not of God. Always, always. Believers will face a triunity of evil until they die. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Isn't that great news? But guess what? You can be victorious over this. You can be victorious over this. What the world offers you is this, the lust of the flesh. I experience. Oh, I want experience. 
I want to experience the world, all that attracts me, all that's sad. I want to experience it. The lust of the flesh. What's the lust of the eyes is I want. I want. It's hedonism. It's flesh. I take it. I want it. It's that, hear this, it's that insatiable appetite for more and more and more, and it is never satisfied. When you go down that road, it will never be satisfied. Never be satisfied. It always brings death. Look at It's the reason the Bible calls it that we're slaves of sin. Just a couple verses for you on being a slave of sin. Jesus says this, Truly I say to everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Romans 6, 6 says this, No longer be enslaved to sin. 2 Peter 2, 19, For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. He is enslaved. This is called slavery. And, and it always, sin always does this. Remember our teaching in James. It always ultimately brings death. Death, separation. It's that sense for the believer that we're separated from God. We confess our sins to get right with God. That's what the believer does. But if you're a non-believer, you are separated from the God who loves you and will ultimately end up in your eternal death, separated forever from God. It's the most awful thing. And you don't have to go down that road. You don't. It always brings death. It never delivers as promised. One fix after another fix. The up, the down, the up, the down, the spiral. It's the death spiral. The pain of it all. And it always brings, listen to this, when you sin, it always brings collateral damage. Remember, we've used this this illustration many times, the pebble in the pond, and it goes out, out, out. So many times I've had people say, I'm not bothering anybody. It's not hurting anybody. Oh, no. Sin has collateral damage. You want to damage a family? Sin. You want to damage your children? Sin. Children you, want to, children, you want to sin and damage your parents or everybody else around you, just get into it. Just go full bore into it and watch the collateral damage. It, it, that's the truth. Now, what do we want to do? We want to check it. We want to say, oh, I've had that lure. I had that lure, but I'm not going to go there. Why? Because God has given us the power to say no to it. More than that in just a second. Sin never, ever satisfies. And then we, so we talked about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and then there's the pride of life where it says, I am king, I am in control, I rule my world, no one's going to tell me what to do, I am doing what is right, that is the devil. He was the first one that wanted to be king and that submit himself to God. I will not submit to God. The world revolves around me and how distorted reality becomes. But the good news is this in verse 17, the triunity of evil exists on borrowed time. It's all passing away. The age of sin and rebellion is passing away, and I can just say, hip, hip, hooray. The truth is this. Your life will end, and you know it. Because God has put eternity in your hearts. You know that you're going to die. You think about it from time to time. This thing is changing. It's 100%, by the way. Everybody gets a high A in death. This age will end. This is a fact. And the fact also is he who does the will of God submits to the Lord Jesus Christ, resists the the world, the flesh, and the devil, abides forever and ever and ever. There's there's an enemy that we have. It's threefold. This is just a review. There's a problem and there's a solution. There's a problem and there's a solution. 
The problem is the world system that we live in. The solution is flee. Please hear this. Please hear this. Flee the world. 1 Timothy 6.11, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness and godliness and faith. 2 Timothy 2.22 says this, flee the evil desires of youth. Now look, at you can be 90 years old and still have the evil desires of youth. Why? Because your flesh is still alive. This is a fight to the death, folks. That's what we're dealing with with our flesh. It's a, this is a death match. Flee. Flee. So world flee. Flesh. These tugs to the world. Remember, your flesh always wants to be tugged to the world. We are to deny our flesh. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires, it says in Romans 6, 12, and 13. How do we do this? It's the Holy Spirit power that does it. How do I live in this power? I stay connected to my Savior. I stay connected to the vine, the branch. I am the branch, he is the vine. If we remain in him, we will bear much fruit. We will have the power to overcome. If I stay away from God's word, if I stay away from the Savior, if I stay away from fellowship, I'm doomed. Just like a magnet. And all of a sudden, you're stuck there. It's like a magnet, and you're stuck. And how hard is it to pull away? See, the magnet is sucking you over. It has some power, but oh, when you give yourself over, then you're stuck firm. And how hard is it to separate? It's harder, isn't it? But guess what? If you're a Christian, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Free at last. Free at last. The world you flee, the flesh you deny, and the devil you resist. You resist. Armor up. Armor up. 1 Peter 5.9. Be steadfast in the faith. Do not cave. Do not give up. Do not cover up. That's what we're great at, cover-up. Cover-up, do it in secret. Everything is in secret. It's nothing's in secret. God sees everything. Resist, don't cave, don't give up, don't cover up, resist. James 4, 7 says this, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That is a promise. That is a promise. Watch. Watch what's going on around you. You know the methodology of the enemy. Watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. Let everything that you do be done in love. Stand fast in the faith. Resist. 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 Now, let's review where we have been. Know your enemies. Remember, it's all about who you know. You must know Christ as your Savior to have any chance in this. Any chance at all. Know Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's the simplest thing in the world. I believe that you died for my sins, Lord. I repent. I am sorry that I did these things. I'm turning to you. Please forgive me. Please take me into your family. And he saves you. He died so we can live. He took all of the wrath that I deserve so that I can live. What a deal. That's the greatest deal. I know Christ. I know him. Deep, intimate knowledge of him. It's all about what you know, that your sins are forgiven, and that we're growing, and we're resisting, and we're submitting to the Word of God, and we're submitting to what God says to do. And you know that you are growing because you are growing strong. You're not a pushover anymore. That thing gets dangled in front of you, you're not a pushover and automatically take the carrot. You know you're growing when you don't do that. that, that why are we strong? 
because we're submitted to the word of God and it abides in you. You overcome the wicked one because you have submitted to the word of God. Remember, it's all about knowing your enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil are relentless enemies and will do anything, anything to lure you back or to lure you away, anything. Remember, the demonic realm has been watching you. Remember, knows your tendencies, knows the bait, knows the bait. Don't love the world, flee. Don't entertain the glitter of the world, deny. Don't fall for the traps of the devil, resist the devil. It's all about the truth. This war is temporary. This too shall, isn't it nice to know? This too shall end. See, when you're 18 years old, you're going, oh, I don't want it to end. You get to be about 30 and you have your first knee injury, you're going, oh, this isn't so much fun. You get to be about 40 and then the arthritis starts. And you get to be about 60 and you can hardly walk and you're going, oh, my goodness, I just can't wait till it ends. Yes, there's something better than this. The victory is assured. This world is passing away. And guess what? The world, the flesh, and the devil are dead men walking. They are defeated. And that's hip, hip, hooray. I have a yay right here. That's a yay. That's a yay, yeah. In verse 17, whoever does the will of God abides forever. And the greatest will of God is that you know his son. God so loved the world. He so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. What a gift that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is ending. This is real. There's a kingdom coming. Get on the right team. John is very clear. Jesus wants you on the winning team. You will face enemies, and you will win if you are on the winning team, and you have submitted yourself to the leader of the team. We want to follow him. God is great. God is powerful. God will get you home safely. It is good for you to know this, that believers know your enemies. Okay, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time to study your word. and Holy Spirit. This word will mean nothing unless you plant it into our hearts. And I pray this lands on receptive hearts. If anyone here does not know the Lord Jesus as their Savior, oh, Father, please help them to know how much you love them, how much you care for them, how real this all is. There is so much eyewitness testimony proof to everything that is written in Scripture. It takes an all-out effort to deny it. I pray that if anyone here does not know you today, that you will have made yourself known to them and that they will say yes to you and receive you as their Savior today. For we who are in the family of God that are dealing with our world, the flesh, and the devil, dealing with the daily struggles of, of the lures that get put out, oh, Lord, may we walk in the strength that you've given us, that you've afforded us, that we no longer get tripped up by the little bits of bait that get dropped, that we say no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit. And I will follow you, Lord Jesus. And if need be, we take out our sword and we wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I will trust you, Lord, with all of my heart. I will put my faith in you. Thank you for this time to study your Word. Holy Spirit, please do your work amongst the people here today. In Jesus' name, amen.